Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Long Run Podcast series on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dominic Santina, and we are getting set with another episode, but we'd like to thank the response and interactions we saw last week with our guest, Sarah Kroll. It was a pretty successful podcast in my mind. Sarah had a lot of good things to talk about, and we saw quite a bit of interaction on our social media, specifically our Instagram. That post got a lot of likes, and I'm not quite sure exactly on how many people listened, but I know it was the most successful podcast that we've had on our social media so far. So we have another guest that will be coming on here in just a few minutes, but we do have a few announcements and a couple things to talk about before we get to that. I found an article, I remember last week I mentioned that the World Athletics came out with their timeline for qualifying training for the Olympics, and they had five things they want to talk about based on that, but I'm not going to mention all five, I'm just going to mention a couple. One of them is that timeline that I mentioned last week could be moved up before December 1st for times to count, because I know I mentioned a lot of athletes were kind of upset with if they do run some races this summer, that it might not count towards the Olympics in 2021. The World Athletic Association said that depending on how the virus runs its course and what happens with the virus, the window could open and be longer. It just depends. They wanted they chose December 1st because they thought they wanted to give athletes a chance to get into training and run quality times during that training period. And some athletes are in a stricter lockdown than others, so they were trying to make the period more of an even keel thing. And so that's why they chose December 1st, but they did say that that doesn't mean it's firm and it is fluid just like everything else that's going on with the virus. They said number two, the second thing that they mentioned was hosting meets without fans is not an option. I kind of agree with this one. They said mass community races are off the table for a while just because of we know how quickly the virus can spread and we need the virus to calm down before we can get back to hosting big races with large amounts of people or spectators watching races. So those are going to be postponed or put off for a while until this virus runs its course and hopefully it slows down here soon so that way we can get back to those races and get back to normal as soon as possible. They also mentioned holding races without crowds makes for bad entertainment and bad events. So they wanted to make sure that track meets and such will not be held without crowds. So until we can have a situation where crowds can attend the races, they will not be holding races as well. One thing that kind of made it interesting to me, but I get where they're going with it, is they said that monitoring the performance-enhancing steroid situation for running could be a little difficult during this time. They said that monitoring the doping, the easiest way they do it is during competitions. They'll test you right after the races and before races, and with no races going on right now, it's going to be harder to test people during this time, but they said that does not mean that it's going to be a free period without testing. There still will be tests going out, testing all the athletes, making sure that they are training at a level that is fair and on par with everyone else. 
And the last thing they mentioned is they said that this will be ex there are exciting times on the horizon. And I'm going to read what they put in 2021. Obviously, we are going to have the Olympic Games in Tokyo. We will also have the Paralympic Games in the same year. 2022, the Outdoor World Championship will be in Eugene, Oregon. 2023, the Outdoor World Championship in Budapest, Hungary. And then in 2024, we have the Olympic and Paralympic Games in Paris. And then the Outdoor World Championships, which will be right now, is in an undecided phase. They don't know which city will hold it in 2025. So every year, obviously, we got a big event going on between the World Championships or the Olympics. But within a short little time span now, we will have some exciting events going on there. To give you something to look forward to when it comes to running. One thing I did see just before I started recording this podcast is the New York Roadrunners Association is holding a virtual 5K right now. You can sign up online and you can compete against some of the pros, such as I know Des Linden is in this competition. And the qualification period is April 15th. So... Today, actually, as the podcast would air, Wednesday, April 15th, recording this, obviously, the Tuesday before April 14th, but as of today, if you're listening to Wednesday until April 30th, you have a chance to enter this virtual 5K and compete. You can run the 5K distance as many times as you want. When you complete the virtual 5K, you will receive a virtual badge on your Strava account. Entry is free, but there are options to donate to the COVID-19 relief efforts, or you could pur purchase an entry towards your Brooklyn Half Marathon. We're going to have another post. Be on the lookout for that on our social media here in the next couple days. There's a couple things I wanted to push out to you guys I'm going to be mentioning here in this podcast that I think posting the links and stuff will help connect with you guys and get you that information on how you can enter for some of these things. So one of them will be the link to register for this New York Roadrunners virtual 5K. That and another thing that I'm going to talk about here in just a second, we'll have links to both of those going up on our social media sites. The other thing that we'll be posting is the Pen Relays, which is a well-known, I believe it's 125 years old now, track meet at the University of Pennsylvania has been canceled. But they've come up with this virtual kind of simulation event thing that they're going to do. I really don't know how well this is going to go over, but at least they're giving it a try. You know, some sports, some motorsports have switched. They kind of led the charge to switching to eSports. And some other sports have tried doing it. It's been hit and miss with what works and what's not. But running is going to try it as well. Uh, through the video game Minecraft, participants can sign up to compete in various events, either as individuals or in teams. Using Minecraft's features that allow users to create universe, Gen G created the famous Franklin Field that will feature a custom-built courses. Instead of using the usual clay, hurdles, and steeples, Races will now include lava, water, and ice barriers that users will have to speed run, the term for running in the gaming world. Team competitions will take place, individual runs, and the total time will be collected from the all participating members. Minecraft users will also be able to watch the event on Twitch, or they can attend the event using their avatar. And there's a Google Doc where you can sign up to compete in this Minecraft Pen Relays event. 
and we'll share that as well with the New York Roadrunners virtual 5k so if you want to sign up for that if you're into video games and you like running well now you can combine them both and participate in that we'll see how well it can go over could be a big hit could not go over very well we'll have to see but at least we got to give them a shout out for trying and seeing what happens there and without further ado we're going to introduce our third guest here to the long run podcast series this is another Michigan State Spartan, or I should say now former Michigan State Spartan. She was teammates with Alex Wilson and Sarah Kroll. We now are going to welcome Leah O'Connor, who was, as I mentioned, ran for Michigan State, then moved on professionally to run for Adidas, and now is with the Gazelle Elite team. You of her long uh, summary of qualifications. Here's some of what Leah has accomplished. The list is very long, but I thought I'd give you some of the things that Leah has done in her time. Most of it's while she was at Michigan State, but running through the list, she was a four-time Big Ten steeplechase champion, the 2014 steeplechase national champion. She was with Sarah Kroll and helping that 2014 cross-country team win the national championship. She was the 2014 Big Ten Woman Athlete of the Year, three-time first-team All-American in track, and she was the Big Ten Women's Indoor and Outdoor Track Athlete of the Year, as well as the Big Ten Women Indoor Women's Indoor and Outdoor Track Athlete of the Championships. She was the USTFCCCA Great Lakes Women's Indoor Track Athlete of the Year, she attended the 2016 Olympic Trials for the steeplechase, and she currently holds a 3,000-meter steeplechase MSU record at 936.43. She holds the MSU record in the mile at 427.18. That is also the NCAA championship meet record, and the 1,500-meter Michigan State record at 411.04. Those are just a few of her many highlights that she has accomplished. We're going to talk about all of that and more. So without wasting any more time, let's welcome Leah O'Connor to the Long Run Podcast Series. Leah, welcome. Thank you. First question, you grew up with brothers and sisters that also ran. How much did that help you growing up to kind of get into running? Yeah, I, it helped me a ton. My uh, My older sister... Allison ran track and cross country and so when I was just a kid she's seven or eight years older than me so when I was a little kid I watched her compete and my dad was also a coach and I just had a really good example early on of what it looked like to be in track and field and then I was just super competitive with my brothers during like mile fun runs and 5ks and races and so it was kind of like a cultural thing in our family, and we all ran, so it kind of like shepherd, shepherded me into the sport, which was really nice. Well, I guess that kind of leads me into my next question then. Was it very competitive in your house when it came to running between all of you, your brothers and sisters? I would say yeah. It was it was more competitive than I think we like realized at the time, but I in hindsight, like we we all kind of had underlying expectation that each of us were like 
try I mean we we all wanted to get scholarships to go to college because being one of six kids it was made pretty clear to, to us early on that we were going to be funding our way through college and so um we all wanted to succeed academically and in sports and I think we just have like this competitive nature in our family that's just fundamental too and so we all wanted to to be the the, the ones to get the scholarship and to run fast times and to be like impressive and I think that's just the nature of being in a big family in general you're vying for attention <laughs> and so we definitely had that going on and we didn't notice it as much in the moment, but I think as we've gotten older and we're all kind of separated from it, we look back and we're like, wow, there was, you know, some underlying stuff going on there. But it, I think it's, it was really great to grow up in that kind of environment, to be honest. I'm sure that probably made running a little bit easier when you all could get out and run together. Yeah, yep. Especially when we were, like, younger, getting ready for road races and stuff. If my brothers went out running, I went out running. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want them to get the upper hand. Yep, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. What made you choose Michigan State? There were a lot of things that made me choose Michigan State. I looked at a variety of different schools, different divisions, and just uh, sizes of schools. I think the thing that really pushed MSU over the edge was meeting the coach coaches at the time, Kim McGreevy and Walt Drenth. I just I trusted them instinctively, and I didn't. I couldn't really pinpoint why. I think a lot of people <laughs> talk about like trusting your gut, but that was like something that it was just like really strong. I I was it had narrowed it down between the University of Michigan and Michigan State, and I could I, I think I probably would have had a good experience at the University of Michigan, but there was just something about the coaches and the environment at Michigan State that just felt like home, and so I just trusted that and uh, made that commitment. You had quite the career at Michigan State. What do you think really helped you propel you in that towards that success? I would say my coach, Walt Trent. I think he did a really, really good job of holding me back when I needed to be held back, but then also pushing me when I needed to be pushed. And he just saw my potential in a way that I didn't even see it at the time. And he made sure that I continued to stay healthy which was instrumental, and then challenged me when I needed to be challenged. And so I think just if you look back at my college career, every single year there was just like this healthy progression, and I attribute that to like good leadership. And then also my teammates, I, we just had a really like healthy, strong environment on that team. And so, I mean, those are my best friends still to this day. It was a great experience. A lot of memories probably to choose from, but is there any one that stands out more than the others? Probably when we won NCAAs in 2014 in cross country. Figured, I, think, I figured that was probably going to yeah. be the first. I, it's hard to beat that one, to be <laughs> honest. Individual like wins are awesome, and I had some great individual experiences, but I think when you can share that with your teammates and your best friends and then like celebrate that afterwards and just have the university celebrate you and just have that, I don't know, just have everything like come together the way that we had planned for it to. It was really like a storybook ending to an awesome season and like for a lot of us, like five years of hard work. So... I, yeah, it's hard not to look back at that and think, like, yeah, that was, that was incredible. I, I, I can't top that. 
Is there an event in college that you favored more or liked more when you ran? I would say when I was running indoor, my favorite event was the mile. And then when I was running outdoor, my favorite event was steeplechase. But it was hard to pick a favorite overall. So, like, when I was in indoor season, the mile was my baby. And I just, like, focused on that. And that was everything to me. And then once steeplechase season came around, like, I was a steepler. And... I would say that's that's still the case. Like I kind of I shift my mentality and indoor it's like I'm a mild person and then outdoor comes around and I like get really excited to steeple again. So yeah. How did you decide that you'd want to continue on and run professionally? It was it was interesting because it wasn't it wasn't like I had to actively make that choice. It just kind of fell together, which is I think how the best things happen, it was just like this organic progression where I, I I never started out running thinking I want to go pro. I just loved running and I wanted to see how good I could be. And then as the years progressed, that question started to get asked of me. And I think my junior year when I won steeplechase and CAAs for the first time, it started really being asked and even still, I was like, ah, I don't know. We'll see. Like, I, it wasn't, it wasn't my end all be all to be a professional runner. But I thought, like, if that opportunity came to be, and everything lined up, I'd go for it. And then going into my senior year, after I won NCAA's into a mile and ran four twenty seven, I just like thought, you know, there's so much more here and there's so much more that I want to accomplish in the sport and so it just progressed into an eventual decision to like go pro and I talked with agents and like made it a reality but it it wasn't it wasn't like I woke up one morning was like I'm gonna go pro it was just kind of this natural progression that you can like again it kind of um, coincided with my my performances throughout the years like it just became more of like a natural decision. What made you sign with Gazelle Elite? I was with Adidas for a few years and that contract ended and I had the opportunity to stay on with them to just like continue with gear and potentially like regain a sponsorship if I raced well and had things come together. But then I also had this other opportunity with Gazelle Elite where I would get a gear sponsorship from Hoka and I would also just be a part of the Gazali racing team and like support them and be able to like publicly say that Dathan is my coach and that I'm a part of this group. And for me, it just seemed like the better option because I wanted to be a part of that group. And so I decided it it was tough because I, I had such a great experience with Adidas and like they were great to me, but I ultimately like wanted to run in Hoka and <laughs> wanted to have the ability to publicly say like Gazelle is my training group because realistically like I had moved to the west side of Michigan and I was training with them so it just seemed like again it was one of those things that like just fell together and I wanted to honor what you know resources were around me and just support gazelle because it is a great training environment so that's what happened so it sounded like gazelle was really kind of the plan since the adidas contract ended was there any other teams you were considering or is it basically just gazelle yeah i 
had thought about like moving to the west side of the United States and just kind of like cons- I had, I've always wanted to move out west and so I like had thought about that a bit thought about other options and like I don't know whenever big changes come up and like life changes you want to like survey all your options yeah. and so I had like other things in mind but ultimately I could not be like being coached by Dathan and the resources that I have in Michigan. And I still don't expect myself to live in Michigan for the rest of my life. But in terms of training and like overall happiness right now where I'm at, like this is ideal. So I just decided to stay put and like, yeah, continue to, to stay in this training cycle that I'm in right now. That's good. Yeah. So I remember watching the 2016 Olympic trials and you were involved in the steeplechase. What was that like? It was awesome for the most part. So I, yeah, I had run 918 in the steeple at the pre-classic that year and I was super fit and I was ranked second, which would have put me on the Olympic team that year. And so I was really excited, but my plantar fascia and my right foot partially tore five weeks before the Olympic trials. And so I had to decide whether I was going to basically pull out from the Olympic trials and try not, you know, obviously not make the Olympic team or train through that partial tear and try to make the Olympic team on kind of sore foot and then try to like rehab it to get ready for the Olympics. And it was just like this really complicated, sticky situation that I did not want to be in. But I had put so much work in and I knew I was really fit. And so for me, being as competitive as I am, my only option was to just try. So I ran a lot on the Alter G and just trained through, quite frankly, a lot of pain to get ready for the Olympic trials. And I got there and won my prelim, but then went home or went back to my hotel room that night and like ate my dinner in bed and like woke up the next morning and could barely walk on my foot, which is a really, really bad sign. And I worked with like doctors to try to help it as much as I could and taped it up and did everything that I could. But I knew it was pretty messed up before I even started the final. So, I mean, these are like stories that you are not told, right? As a, as an audience member (laughs) before the Olympic trials, like I was not broadcasting this publicly because it was just a lot for me to process and I did not want everyone else to know at the time what was going on. It just seemed like the healthier option for me. But yeah, so I came down on, in the final, I came down on one of the water barriers really hard and I just felt my foot like pop. And as the race progressed, it was kind of like, I didn't even, I felt like I didn't have control over my body anymore. It just kind of like told me to stop. And I finished the race somehow, but I got done and they took me to a medical tent. And then the next, or I think that night they went and they did an MRI of my foot and I had like completely ruptured my plantar fascia, which is technically like if you have a tear in your plantar fascia, you're supposed to either take a lot of time off or go in and get like a surgery done to just release the fascia and like that makes it heal faster. And so the way it was explained to me was that in the final at the Olympic trials, I basically did surgery on myself <laughs> and like ruptured my plantar fascia by, by running so hard on it and jumping on it, which in the moment sucked, but long-term was probably better for my foot and my long-term health. But yeah, it was, it was by far one of 
the hardest experiences of my life. And my main goal looking forward to the next Olympic trials is to just go in healthy <laughs> and have like fun with it and not have that, that same stressful experience. And I would not advise anyone in that same situation to try to push through injury or pain. It's just not, it, to me, like looking back on it, I don't think it was worth it, so to speak, <laughs> but, but it was my personal experience. So, yeah. All right, so I'm going to switch up the questions here because you kind of led into it. So the goal is to tr give it another try for the Olympics? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was, I mean, kind of something that I had vowed to myself after 2016. And I, the last few years, have gone through quite a bit physically, which I've talked about a bit just with injuries. And I've shared blog posts and things like that about how I kind of got stuck in this injury cycle. But this past year, um, since working with Dathan and being in Ghazali, I have not had a single injury and I felt better than I have in a really, really long time. And I've since August have strung together at least 60 miles a week and I'm racing well again and I'm just feeling good. And I fully intended in, you know, this spring to steeple again and then, you know, try to make the team in 2020. And obviously the situation with the coronavirus is not ideal for anyone, but in terms of like my fitness and like what I could personally use to have a real shot at making the Olympic team, another year is actually pretty good because I've only been healthy for a year. So another year of fitness excites me and the, the, the chances for me to make the Olympic team in 2021 actually kind of like increase as long as I stay healthy and keep doing what I've been doing. I feel a lot more confident about my chances in another year. So, yeah. was looking through your social media a little bit, and as you mentioned, you talk about your injuries and stuff. With switching to Gazelle and stuff, is there specific stuff that you found that's helped prevent injuries? Or Yeah. So I have a really great doctor, and something I talked about is my struggles with hypothyroidism. So my thyroid was not functioning properly, and it was causing a slew of other health issues for me. And it just kind of trickled down into eventual like stress fractures and different things that like kept me out for months on end. And actually having a doctor who did proper blood work and tracked my symptoms and I, I recently shared something on my face or on my, not my face, my Instagram with Krista Austin, a doctor I worked with who is a specialist in this area. And we just went through my blood work and, and did a full panel and figured out what was going on with me from a, like a physical perspective and having Dathan also work hand in hand with my doctor and just kind of do like a full revamp and we were able to like slowly but surely get me back to a place where I was healthy and I think that has been I know that has it's helped a lot because like in past training situations we weren't doing a lot of like that background work we weren't going to see a doctor we weren't taking care of like my health like completely and so I was just going back into training and kind of like ramping up too fast too soon and doing too much work and my body was failing on me over and over again and we weren't doing it in the smartest way and I think now 
that I'm in Gazelle, I just have a coach who's super, super knowledgeable because he's been through all of this stuff himself and then really great doctors who are working hand in hand with him. And it's just, it's just smarter training. I don't know how else to put it. It's just more intelligent training. (laughs) So it's been helpful. So even with the virus, how's your training going? It's great. (laughs) I mean, virus sucks because our team is is separated at this moment in time Dathan if he does show up at our workouts stays far away from us <laughs> and um, my teammate Emily who I live with moved back with her parents in Holland so we're not able to train together at this point because we're quarantined separately which is kind of a bummer and then I mean I guess the saving grace has been, has been Lewis my boyfriend and my teammate moved in with me and we've been able to do like base runs together but for the most part like today I worked out alone except for my warm-up and cool down I did with him but it's just it's everything's just a little different than it normally is because like we would typically be able to meet up at like the East Grand Rapids track and do workouts together and not worry about social distancing but now we're all kind of on our own schedules and trying to fit in the work where we can but thankfully we've all stayed healthy which has been huge and so far I mean everything has kind of continued to progress it's which has been nice it's been like kind of the one constant for all of us it's like running (laughs) we can still we can still run which is which is great depending on what happens with the virus and stuff do you have plans for races this year or what's the what's the plan yeah the plan it kind of depend. yeah it does depend on what races are still available this summer if any i know dathan wants to have a time trial which i think he talked about like going live on instagram and sharing it or something i don't know it's just in the works but he wants to have something where there's like a little bit more at stake where we can like actually display our fitness because we like everyone else who is prepping for the olympic trials have put a lot of work in and like we're fit but he yeah i mean it's all kind of it it, like everything else is developing day by day (laughs) so we'll see my hope is that this summer we'll be able to race but before then i'm anticipating like a 5k time trial or something which we'll probably share cool so are you doing still you said you're still doing workouts you're not just doing base mileage you're training what are you training for the steeple or what are you training for right now um yeah, so we were going to start doing more like steeple specific work and jumping over things, but that's not happening anymore. So our training, it was interesting. Like it started to ramp up, like we were like getting ready to steeple, and then when this all happened, our training kind of went back to what we were doing in the fall, which is more like base, mm-hmm. not not base work, but like more up, like more volume and less intensity. So you're just like maintaining fitness, but you're not fine tuning everything yeah. to get ready for a race. So right now we just kind of like took a couple steps backwards in a sense, but not really. <laughs> we're just we're just not starting to specialize for specific events. We're just like continuing to get fitter and fitter, which, like I said before, is kind of the ideal situation for me because I needed that and I've needed like these extra weeks and months of fitness. So, yeah, I'm good with it. All right. Well, thank you, Leah. Yeah, no problem. Once again, we'd like to thank Leah O'Connor for her time and availability to come join us on the podcast. Really enjoyed being able to talk to Leah and pick her mind 
about her time at Michigan State and now trying to qualify for the 2021 Olympics in the steeplechase once again. And with that, we're going to move into our cool-down portion of the show. Once again, we're going to add another rule. Remember the 25 golden rules that we started two weeks ago? Well, we're on rule number three. This rule is the two-hour rule. This is according to Running World. They compiled 25 golden rules for runners. The rule states, waiting for about two hours after eating a meal before running. For most people, two hours is enough time for food to completely empty from the stomach, especially if it's a high if it's high in carbohydrates. If you don't wait long enough, food will not be properly digested, raising the risk of abdominal cramps, bloating, and even vomiting. That is according to Cindy Delo. There is one exception to the rule. You can probably run 90 minutes after a light, high-carb meal, while you may need up to three hours after a heavy meal that's high in protein and fat, you can also grab a small snack that's low in fat and protein, but high in quick carbs 15 to 16 minutes for a run. I agree with this rule and I disagree with this rule. I know there's definitely, I've been too impatient not to wait two hours before I go run. My rule is usually about an hour. That could mean sometimes that's why I've had abdominal cramps or problems on my run. I usually wait at least 45 minutes to an hour. Sometimes it's an hour and a half. That's usually my range. But I usually run mid-afternoon, so it's usually after lunch. So it's not that big of a meal if I eat something before I go run. But just interesting to keep in thought there. I do have some training tips. We're not going to get to our manual training tips yet. I'm going to add in a couple other things that I've heard and wanted to bring to your attention during this time and kind of just remind you while we go through this together, this virus and everything that's going on. Some news that I saw here within the last week is there's new evidence that when you're running or catching someone on your run, you do not want to run right up behind them. Because the particles, if they cough or sneeze or whatever, and they do have the COVID-19 virus, they will get sprayed farther back because of the pace they're running at and or biking at or whatever. So if you're running up on somebody, you want to make sure you run out of their jet stream, so to say, and move off to the left or right of them. So that way, if something happens, it's not flying over them right back at you. You're out of their out of their line. The other thing they said is that they would highly suggest giving more than six feet when you're passing people. I saw an estimate that said up to 12 feet, which I feel is a little excessive, but at the minimum, try to give six feet when you're passing people. I know sometimes that's not doable just based on where you're running and your conditions around you, but try to remember to maintain that six feet distance when you're passing someone if you can't do that, just try to move past them as fast as you can. And the last kind of thing that I want to talk about with the, these training tips is please don't meet up with people. Who knows who they've been around and such. Run by yourself or run with your immediate family. Don't meet up with any of your friends. We get a group together to go on runs or bike or whatever you're doing. Just run by yourself right now. I know it's tough. I know it's hard. I know it's better when you're running with people, but for your health and everyone's health going forward, and so that way we can move on with this virus as quickly as possible, or at least try to give us a chance to move on to it as quickly as possible. 
do it with only your immediate family or by yourself, best thing to do is either listen to a podcast, listen to music, do something that kind of takes your mind off of it. If you like that person that you're used to running with somebody and that's how you only like to run music or a podcast like this one would be a perfect situation to just put on and go for a run and it'll help you kind of get through your run if you're used to talking to people. With that being said, now we'll move into our mile training tip. As I've mentioned the last two episodes, we're going to help you try to run a faster mile pace or a faster mile when it comes to road races either this summer or this fall. So we got another tip here that was suggested by Nick Willis, the Olympian. It says that you should develop a stable core. He said the shorter the race, the more important your core strength. You need a rigid foundation from your ankle to your head for the movement. Your foot pushes off the ground when a runner's core is weak and they get tired in the second half of a mile race. It looks like they're sitting down at the waist. A strong core allows you to u- utilize your legs, prevent your body from twisting around and push against the ground so that your whole body moves forward and not up and down. I totally agree with this one. I know basically from when I began running in high school through the current day, uh, I focus a lot on my core and trying to strengthen that. And the stronger core you have, the more you run upright, the better form you have. And the stronger you will run because your form is better and you won't tire out, as Nick said, in the middle of that mile race. And whether you're running a mile, two mile, 3K, 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, 800, whatever it is, core strength is always important. It always can help you out. So try to find a core routine that you like. Not saying you have to do it every day, but at least do it couple days a week and stick with it you got extra time on your hands right now so find a good core workout routine doesn't have to be long just a few minutes each day and work on that core build it up and it'll help you out with your running as well one last thing before we sign off again this week for episode number eight don't forget to reach out to our social media the instagram is starting to take off the last two weeks thanks to Alex Wilson and Sarah Kroll for helping out promoting the podcast on their social media networks as well. It's Believe in the Long Run on Instagram. We've nearly tripled our followers now. We're up to almost 50. And and it's the Long Run 5 on Twitter. And then, of course, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple iTunes, Google Play, and the Believe Podcast Network. Make sure you like, subscribe, and follow, and don't forget to also share the podcast with your friends. Don't be afraid to also comment and tell us what you like about the podcast, even what you don't like about the podcast, or any questions you may have. One thing I'd also like to welcome is don't be afraid to comment and tell us what you would like to hear or for me to talk about here on the podcast as well. I know we're doing a lot of interviews right now, but that does not mean we still can't work in what you would like to hear on the podcast as well. So it looks like it's time to go for another run, so I'm going to sign off, and thank you for listening, everybody, and stay safe in the current conditions right now. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. 
Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.